Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thursday, January 27th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, no real progress uh, since the talks earlier this week in the labor negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Union, uh, but the hope is that they'll be getting together soon on uh, non-core issues, non-financial issues uh, that they need to settle up before the, the collective bargaining agreement is, is reached. Uh, just the, the, the last couple of sessions that they had, uh, they've, they've discussed things, uh, like, you know, minimum salaries and, and, uh, you know, all, all issues related to, uh, free agency and service time. Uh, what are the other things that they talked about in the, the last session that we, we didn't cover? I think they've, they've talked about, um, you know, uh, the revenue sharing stuff, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Players wanted to originally wanted to, you know, wanted to re- reduce it to by a hundred million. Now it's down to thirty million. Joe, also, um, I think the big issue, you know, it, it sounds like you know the owners aren't going to give in on, on uh, uh, you know, having the cutoff. They want the cutoff at three years of arbitration. The players wanted to be wanted to be pushed back to two as it was in, I, I believe in 1984, uh, it was two years of, uh, arbit- two years of service time needed for arbitration. Uh, so, but, so both of them have been talking about a bonus pool. Uh, but of course, there's, there's a little bit of a gap here, a bonus pool that would you know, reward players with two or fewer years of service time for outstanding performances, you know, based on war, based on, awards you know I, I don't think that's been finalized yet but you know the, uh, the players want want the, want that bonus pool to be at 105 million the owners have suggested uh, 10 million so you know there's a big gap there but at least they're on the same page yeah we, we were talking before we, we started recording here it's a that's like throwing them a 20 that's like uh, you know a, <laughs> a, a tip or, or whatever like here here's a quarter uh, I think there's a there's a significant gap there. That's something that they can maybe meet uh, in the middle uh, about, and, and both feel comfortable. But uh, yeah, again, that brings up that problem of having that bonus pool. How do you how do you allot the those dollars to those specific players uh, with with two years of service time or, or less? And, and you know, you base it on something as subjective as you know, the BBWA awards uh, for rookie of the year or, or Cy Young or MVP, or you do it by, uh, you know, by war. And there's, you know, three or four different ways to calculate war. I, I just, uh, there, there has to be some sort of objective consensus there for, for distributing those dollars. Yeah, that's a great point, Joe. You know, 
the BBWA awards are used, you know, in, in some contracts as, as mm-hmm. incentives, you know, obviously, you know, for, you know, Cy Young award, you know, is worth two, $200,000 to a pitcher. Then, you know, it breaks down second, third, fourth, fifth place, you know, and that's in a lot of, you know, incentive based contracts, you know, so is the MVP, silver slugger, all that stuff, all-star games. But the war thing is really interesting because, you know, I was reading that some of these guys, you know, the baseball analysts that have put together the, the, the war stats don't want that to be used. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel it's a conflict of interest, you know, you know, from where they're coming from and they, they're kind of protesting well, against, you know, that being used in the basic agreement. Well, because what you'll have is what, what you've seen over the last, you know, few years with the, the, the launch angle revolution or the increase in strikeouts, it, it'll be those, there are ways to manipulate war. If you're a player, you're going to see players doing things differently on the field, specifically just targeted at increasing their war and, and not really worrying about playing the game the right way or, you know, winning baseball or, or playing in a, in, in a, in a collaborative sort of team way. It's going it, to, you want to talk about, uh, shifts ruining the game uh put put incentive on increasing your war and and that's going to ruin the game a whole hell of a lot faster i think that's a great point i didn't think about that that's uh, you know that would be something they would have to take into consideration I, I, those guys are you know there's enough guys smart guys in baseball and on the on the union side that they could come up with their own kind of formula i would that would might take you know 10 oh. years you know, oh, calling some rock, some guys from Nassau to, to figure this thing out, but they should be able to come up with their own calculations or hire oh. Bill James. Maybe they could, uh, you know, put him to work for, the, for that. I, I just, I shudder to think of what the Rob Manfred version of war would look like or sound like, or, or how it would be made fun of by, by baseball analysts, you know, down the, down the, the road there, uh, you know, Oh, Rob Manfred's version of war. What would you, you call uh, baseball reference our war and you call fan, uh, you call fan graphs uh, war, F war. F war. What would you call uh, Rob Manfred war? <laughs> you get nothing and you like it. I'll bet you the, the players union would probably call it D war. I, I just, we'll, we'll move on. But every team has a baseball scientist now. Right. I love those titles. Somebody could come up with something that would be uh, compatible to both sides. Right. Well, it, it, watch the league would want you to use the Yankees version of war or something like that. And it just yeah. screw everything up. Uh, anyways, uh, speaking of war and speaking of, uh, evaluating players and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. We talked about, uh, David Ortiz getting into the hall of fame and, uh, and just in doing a little bit of research here, uh, you know, found out that there's only with Ortiz. Now there are only going to be four Dominican born players in baseball's hall of fame. Obviously United States born players are, you know, the overwhelming, uh, you know, majority in the, in the hall, uh, really a, a, a surprisingly small number of foreign born players are actually have actually been elected to the hall, but for the Dominican to be a, you think about a, a country that, that has so many players that play at such a high level, you know, especially over the last 20 to 30 years. Uh, I was, I was shocked. Can, and, and I know you can, so just to, to name the four uh, Dominican born players, 
from at, le at least from my area, you've got Pedro Martinez, Vlad Guerrero, and and David Ortiz, and then uh, Hoynesy's area, you got uh, Juan Marichal. Juan Marichal, a great, uh, a great high kick uh, pitcher for the uh, for the San Francisco Giants. Joe, if you ever go out out to San Francisco, there's a statue of him outside their uh, ballpark. The statue of Willie Mays and him and Stargell, but it's a great statue of uh, Juan Marichal, just in his right mid pitching motion. It's it's really cool. He's he's got his delivery. Is his is his leg kick way up over his head that way, or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, so just in, in thinking and pondering, I, I looked at the list of uh, Dominican-born players uh, on, on baseball reference, uh, and I, I sorted it by number of all-star games appeared in uh, and, and tried to sort of, you know, gather a list of guys who, uh, you know, I, I think would be possibilities to, to make the Hall of Fame from the Dominican. Uh, and, and I came up with two immediately, and those are like first ballot guys. I think both of these guys are shoe-ins and automatics, and that would be uh, Adrian Beltre, who just retired from Texas uh, recently. He's got more than 3,100 hits and 477 home runs. I think it's impossible to keep him out. Uh, and, and the other one is pretty obvious as well. He's still playing. Oh, yeah. Albert Pujols just, uh, you know, just finished his, this season with uh, the Dodgers. After getting, I think, was he released by the Angels or – Traded by the Dodgers. I, I forget. He somehow ended up with the Dodgers, but just a great, great career. You know, just a, a monster of a player. It's, yeah. he's, he's definitely a first ballot guy, I would think, Joe. I, I would think Albert Pujols would be a 100% vote guy. I mean, he's got to be named on every ballot. And if not, uh, there's people need to have their, their voting privileges revoked. Uh, 3,300 hits and 679 home runs. Uh, I think that that puts you and uh, and what at least two World Series titles uh, as well. Yeah, well, a couple beat, MVPs. You know, St. Louis, and... St. Louis beat Texas, and mm -hmm. uh, I think you know they won. Yeah, they won at least two. He won at least two World Series titles. So, uh, other guys on that that list of Dominican players uh, who I thought you know might eventually gar garner some consideration, but don't really have uh, really strong cases. Uh, Bartolo Colon. Uh, you know, he's got a Cy Young under his belt, a 45 career uh, uh, R war. And um, Nelson Cruz Jr., 42 career war. Uh, other guys, uh, Manny Ramirez, 12 All-Star games. But again, the PEDs, actually all three of these guys, Manny Ramirez, yeah, yeah. Robinson Cano, and Sammy Sosa, all guys who, you know, there are obvious uh, roadblocks to them. And the same with the uh, Cruz and Cologne, those two, those two guys. Uh, yeah, but you never really hear uh, either Cruz or Cologne's name come up as, uh, you know, like tainted by the. the yeah, the, well, the, well the I think PDs. well Cologne got suspended for a testosterone when he was pitching for uh, Oakland, and uh, Cruz I think was in the Biogenesis thing. I think I'm pretty sure I, he was uh, well, mixed up in that. And that does sort of bring up uh, another uh, point if we're, if we're talking specifically about players from the Dominican is uh, we've seen that with uh, just in recent years in Cleveland with uh, Emmanuel Classe, with uh, uh, even uh, the, the rumors that were never really any sort of found, uh, didn't have any sort of foundation that popped up uh, in what, 2018, 2019 with, with Jose Ramirez. Uh, we, we, you know, all sorts of rumblings. 
and yeah. it, it El just Monte, seems El Monte was El Monte as well. Year too. But it, it always seems to to sort of circle around uh, some of these Dominican players that that maybe uh, I don't want to say fall victim to because they know what they're doing, but there are people who will take advantage and and put them in positions that you know maybe they don't realize what's what's happening to them. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, Joe, and I think. Um, those, uh, you know, the PEDs are easier to get in, in different countries. Um, but you, you know, you still, you know, they, uh, the PED rules are written in Spanish and English. Uh, you know, the, they're written in, uh, multiple languages. So, you know, players, players, you know, do have an excuse, I think, you know, from other countries where, you know, the rule, the, Enforcement rules aren't as strict, but baseball rules, you know, cover cover all boundaries, all to all uh, borders. That makes sense. All right, uh, a good discussion about uh, you know just uh, I, I'm I, I'm still a little surprised that there aren't isn't a better representation of uh, players from some some of these Latin countries. Uh, obviously, Puerto Rico, um, Venezuela, and and the, uh, the Dominican are all all places where. Uh, a lot of talent comes from those those uh, countries, yeah. and and it, we'll 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 see more guys getting in. I, I think uh, a lot more guys getting in uh, to the hall in coming years uh, from from these these nations. Yeah, uh, uh, Mini Minoso's going in. He's from Cuba. Right. There's this uh, he'll come in go in in July as part of the uh, you know the the golden era era the golden era committee they you know that had elected like four guys he's right. one of them all right we're going to shift gears here and uh talk about our uh Hoinsey's top 25 most memorable uh cleveland baseball personality of the day uh we'll do our, our little blind intro here to, to see if we can uh get the listeners to guess who we're talking about uh this guy was Signed by the Phillies as an international free agent in 1978 and traded to Cleveland in 1982. So they give you a, a, an idea of the, uh, the timing or timing of it in the era. Uh, 23 major league seasons, including parts of eight with the Indians, he collected 2,586 hits, batted 298 for his career. He's Cleveland's franchise leader in grounding into double plays. He's fifth most time, uh, fifth most in caught stealing, and ninth in sacrifice flies. Batted more, uh, batted over three hundred every year from nineteen eighty six through eighty nine, and averaged more than twenty steals from nineteen eighty three through ninety one. And and this, if if I haven't given it away by now, uh, he was the oldest active player in the majors from two thousand four to two thousand seven and the last active player born in the 1950s. Lindsay, who, who is the, uh, who, who is this Indians legend? <laughs> Julio. There if I had a go. bill, I'd be ringing it. <laughs> Julio Franco, Joe. I mean, what, what everybody is, everybody who grew up watching the Indians in, in, you know, when I was young in, in, in my era, imitated Julio Franco's batting stance at least once, you know, you're, you're out in the, in the street playing with a, uh, you know, a, a tennis ball and a, and a bat. And uh, you've got the, the you're, you're, you're wagging the bat up over your head, <laughs> pointing it at the pitcher, this unusual stance. 
And it worked for a guy, 2,500 hits, uh, a 298 lifetime average, and he played for 23 years. Uh, he was, he was, you know, outside of Manny Ramirez, who, you know, really probably is the best right-handed hitter we've seen in a long, long time, you know, because he did everything. He hit for average and power. I thought Julio was the best right-handed hitter that I've covered with, with the Indians and, um, and Cleveland. And uh, just, uh, yeah, the, the batting stance was unique, Joe. And, but he always got the bat in hitting position, you know, even though it was wrapped around his head. When, when it was, you know, he got it down in time. His timing was great at that. Uh, great opposite field hitter uh, to, to right center, right center field. And uh, just a, you know, um, you know, played shortstop. He came from the Dominican Republic. We were talking about those guys, uh, those players. And Joe, I think if he would have stayed in the, in the uh, if he would have stayed in, in Major League Baseball, he would have had, I think he easily gets 3,000 hits. I mm -hmm. think he's in the Hall of Fame. But this is a guy that in 1995, you know, you know, like a couple of years after winning a batting title with the Rangers, you know, he goes to Mecca, goes to Japan. He signs mm -hmm. with Japan. And I'm still not sure why, you know, he, he plays for Chiba Latte mm -hmm. uh, in 90, uh, 95. Then he comes back, uh, re-signs with the Indians, uh, plays a couple more years. Then he goes back to Japan. If you count all his hits that he, you know, he spent two seasons in Japan, three in Mexico, one in Korea. And like you were saying, at 55, he's still playing in an independent league in Fort mm -hmm. Worth. Right. If you count all those hits, he had 3,382 hits, you know, I, in, in, you know, I, you know, I, all those leagues aren't considered, you know, major league level, but I, I just thought if he stayed in, in the big leagues and there had to be a place for him. Uh, you know, he could have, he could have had 3000 hits. And back then, you know, that was, you know, that was uh, you know, calling card for the hall of fame. Yeah. That's the benchmark. I think I read somewhere. If you include his minor league hits, uh, he had over 4,000 professional yeah. hits, which, 600, which is, he had 606 minor league hits. So he, he would have had, over four thousand hits, right? Just home. just a couple of a couple of average seasons in in Major League Baseball for him, you know that that he spent abroad. Then he, he's the, he's definitely there. What was he like early on with the Indians? Because you you mentioned Manny and you mentioned how the, the comparison with him hitting, he was kind of like the uh, the precursor to Manny as well. Uh, did he get? <laughs> Didn't he get, uh, you know, uh, uh, suspended for a game because he didn't, he, he showed up, but then he left and you never really knew what was going on with, with Julio. Yeah. When I first got on the beat in 83, he was, he, the Phillies brought, he was traded for the Phillies, the, the five for one trade, I think, or yeah. no, no, I, yeah, I think Von Hayes, they Von sent Hayes. Von Hayes to the Phillies and the Indian, the Indians got five players back, including Julio. And uh, so the, the, the off season before his first year, he's, he's in the Dominican. He gets, I think he got arrested for carrying a gun. And, uh, and so I, somehow I called his, his hometown and I called it. I got, I got the uh, jail where he was being, where he was being held and they put me right through to him. I'm talking wait, to wait, him. Wait, 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 you were Julio's jailhouse call. What, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> Well, I called him, you know, I couldn't, I don't, I still don't speak Spanish and the loud, I figured, you know, if I just talked loud enough, they would, they would 
put me through. So I got Julio and he oh. said, Oh my he God. Said, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. He goes, uh, my brother, my brother comes, comes every day and hits me ground balls. So I'm in great shape. <laughs> what do they have a baseball diamond out back at the jailhouse? Yeah, I guess he just you... went out in the exercise, you know, <laughs> the area and, and Julio's <laughs> brother hit him ground balls. I, I would imagine a baseball bat's not, not what you want to be carrying around in the, uh, in, in the parking lot of the, the jailhouse there. That's well, that that's incredible. I you're talking to Julio Franco while he's incarcerated in the Dominican Republic. That was <laughs> that, and in, in, in 1985, <clears throat> on April 19th, uh, Julio's had a great start, you know. Uh, so the uh, Indians are in, <clears throat> in New York, they're playing the Yankees. Uh, he hits a game winning home run off of off Ron Guidry, they win two to one. It's a, I think it's a Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday for Saturday's game. There's no Julio. He doesn't show up. And uh, everybody's, wow. You know, this guy is, he's hitting, Joe, this guy's leading the league. He's hitting 516 and, and the, the AL batting champ is gone. <laughs> Nobody can find him. And so, you know, they, they play the game and, and uh, then they, um, they, <laughs> We're, we're, you know, so the, you know, the reporters are going crazy running around trying to find this guy. And, uh, and so um, a couple of his buddies from the Dominican show up at the ballpark Saturday, Saturday afternoon. They'll never Juan and Juan and Mar Mar Marciano Todman. They, those were his names. And we're talking to him and he go, Hey, where is Julio? And he goes, you know, he came over to my mother's house last night. Then we went to another house. So they went to a party. Julio obviously, you know, <laughs> overindulged or something got something happened. And uh, we asked him, well, where, where is he? Why isn't he at the game? He goes, let me call my mom. He calls his mom and says, Julio's sick. He's not coming to the park today. <laughs> so after the game, after the game, they uh, Pat Corrales and Joe Klein, Corrales was the manager and Joe Klein was the GM. They're in the clubhouse and they call these two guys in uh, the, the Todman brothers and they're walking past the clubhouse and all the guys that were at the party that with Julio the night before there's, they're yelling and calling them out, calling their names out. And these guys are all running into the shower. So they're, they're hiding from these guys. Oh man. So they don't get in trouble. So they sent Bobby Bonds and uh, uh, Tony Bernazard out to get Julio Saturday night. And they find him. They bring him back to the team hotel. He come, he starts the next day. You know, he, he you know, he, we, we talked to him. His eyes are still bloodshot. We, we talked to him. Corral said, didn't suspend him, but find him. He goes, you know, this is the big leagues. This is not high school. You don't cut off your nose to, you know, spite your face here. Julio gets a, uh, a hit, a single in his first at bat. And the, the Indians win the game three, nothing, but that was, that was an interesting. That was an interesting uh, chapter in Julio's career. Well, you know, it's not unusual for Major League Baseball players to uh, find it hard to avoid the trappings of New York City on a on a weekend trip to play the Yankees. Uh, there there have been many stories uh, about that, but but this he he wasn't hitting up Studio Fifty Four. This wasn't like, you know, th this was house partying with yeah, with Dominican in the friends Bronx. in New York. Yeah. That's, that's crazy, and and to be that wiped out after a a Friday night game—that's uh, pretty insane. Wow, I had never heard that story before, but uh, 
Definitely. Another, yeah. Joe, another time he, he was, he was mad at the writers. Julio's mad at the writers. So uh, he puts this sign above his locker. It says no, no home, nobody home, you know, and, and we're looking at this lot, you know, it's on a, on a paper plate that he'd written it and put in a thumb package <laughs> at the top of his locker. So of course, you know, all the beat guys go over and say, what's going on, Julio? And he spends an hour talking to us about why he's not talking to us. <laughs> that's he was, he was my favorite, man. He was a trip. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you know, just, just hearing stories like that, it, it sort of gives you a, a, a little more perspective, like you said, on, on Manny and, and, and the, the players who have come after him. Now you think about uh, the, the Dominican players that we have in the clubhouse now uh, to see Jose Ramirez come walking through the, the clubhouse strutting like George Jefferson and, you know, playing Mario Kart and, uh, you know, just having the personality that he has. Uh, Framil Reyes having such a huge larger than life personality as well. It, it, it really does make a lot of sense. And, and really Julio was, was sort of the precursor to all that. The, the, one of the, the guys that, that sort of, you know, made all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, uh, he was one of the first guys that really got into bodybuilding. You know, he, he had Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding book in his locker and Joe to, to gain weight. He said he ate a pizza every night just before he went to bed so he could get bigger and stronger. Oh. And, and you saw when, you know, I mean, we saw him, you know, transformed from the skinny, you know, shortstop to when he, when he came back to the Indians in 2016, they said, you know, you've got to lose 20 pounds. And he was like, he was like ripped, you know, he, he was right. pure muscle, but they said, you got to lose some weight because that, we just think you're too big. That 1996 season, when he came back, that was, I mean, he was welcomed back by, by fans at, at Jacobs field. He was, that was a, a great season. And then to have, he, he produced on the field and it was like, oh yeah, this guy that used to play for play for us back in the eighties, he's back now at sort of this like highlight prime golden time for us. And he's out there producing at first base. Yeah. And he really, he played well on uh, the thing about him, Joe, is he hit great pitching, you know, Great pitchers did not intimidate him. The better the pitcher was, uh, the better Julio swung the bat. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and when he finished his career in, in Atlanta, they kept him, you know, he kept coming back and back. I think he's got all these records. You know, he's mm -hmm. the oldest guy to hit a grand slam, an oldest guy to steal a base, the oldest guy to drive in a, the winning run with, with, uh, with, with the Braves. So uh, <laughs> he might be playing still somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> the last I heard, he was a hitting coach in, in, in Korea. He was one of the hitting really? coach when during the uh, pandemic, uh, you know, when they had, uh, when the SPN had, had yeah, they were uh, showing KBO games. Yeah. Yeah. At four o'clock in the morning, they, they had mentioned Julio was one of the, one of the hitting coaches over there. Well, I, I know after he, he left Cleveland, he, he went out, he had three straight all-star games uh, for the Rangers and uh, you know, had an uh, all-star MVP where he hit, hit a, I believe he hit a home run off of Rob Dibble uh, to win the, the all-star MVP there. Uh, it was, it was fun to follow him, especially after he left Cleveland uh, in those early nineties days. But uh, you know, when he came back, that was, that was primetime Julio. It was great to watch. And, and a whole nother generation of, of, of kids uh, got to learn how to hold their bats above their heads <laughs> and, and point him at the pitcher and, and, and all that. So 
Great stories about Julio Franco uh, to wrap up today's Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsey, uh, we'll be back to, uh, to finish out the week tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe. 